0: This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys. By I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of
1: Play-By-Play Cast, Todd Bodette. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godette. Joe Godette. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, Joel. with L. Okay, Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Goes win their 90th! Raise the Jolly Roger is a phrase you're quite familiar with if you're a Pittsburgh sports fan. Greg Brown is the longtime voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates on both television and on radio. And he's our guest this week on episode 21 of Play by Playcast. Welcome back in, everybody. My name is Joel Godette. The uh, voice guy was Sean Sullivan. Guest is Greg Brown... That's everybody. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for clicking subscribe and download and joining us once again. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, you can shoot me a tweet at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. You can shoot the podcast tweet at P-X-P-Cast, uh, or you can follow the podcast on Twitter as well. Again, at PXPcast. Pretty lengthy conversation with Greg today, so I want to get uh, quickly into it. But the the short story on Greg, and he'll dive into it a little bit more uh, long-time voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, radio and television. He alternates uh, back and forth with Joe Block. Before that, Tim Neverett, uh, his two most recent um, partners, I guess you could say. Uh, but certainly he also works with John Wayner and Steve Blass. And uh, Steve Blass, John Wayner, Bob Walk is the uh, third guy that rotates in on color for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Greg's an interesting guy because before he was in Pittsburgh... He was in AAA baseball with the Buffalo Bisons. He worked with Pete Weber. He'll talk about uh, the current Nashville Preds voice a little bit in this podcast. He also worked on Buffalo Bills broadcasts. And then before that, he worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Not in a broadcasting role. Well, actually, yes, in a broadcasting role. But not in a play-by-play role. He did some behind-the-scenes broadcast work. Uh, he did some pre- and post kind of sideline-ish work, did some public address, did some production, did a lot of different things with the Pirates, up to and including being the Pirate Parrot. So Greg is an interesting story as far as we always take a look at different routes into this industry. Uh, Greg's is <laughs> is fairly unique, just like everybody else who's been on this podcast so far. But uh, beyond that, in the first 10 to 12 minutes, I think, of our discussion is about Greg's kind of entry into broadcasting and the start of his career in Pittsburgh and going to Buffalo and then coming on back uh, we talk about that but beyond that in this podcast we get into a lot of baseball play-by-play talk Uh, what makes baseball great on radio Um, why uh, what makes good baseball on radio as opposed to just baseball on radio Uh, how to get information on a day-to-day basis out of baseball players without completely bombarding them Uh, how you can get deeper information, how you can get quick information. Hey, what'd you have on that pitch last night? What were you thinking? Versus sit down and tell me your life story. So we kind of discuss all that different stuff. We discuss working with a baseball analyst, which I think is a little bit different than working with an analyst in some other sports. A lot of good stuff with Greg Brown uh, we dive in now. And we start actually with his first stint in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization we mentioned he did some different things uh, something I found out and I've known Greg for a few years um, I never knew this part about him uh, but we are family the Pittsburgh Pirates kind of mantra in the 70s uh, we are family was always a thing in the clubhouse but when it caught on as a fan thing uh, Greg Brown sort of kind of at the heart of that that's when we start things off today on play-by-play cast <laughs>
0: Uh, kind of, I mean, that's, it's been kind of exaggerated a bit, but I was the guy that spun records at the ballpark. So, uh, I, I, am the first one that played it in the ballpark.
1: How did it catch on from there? Well, it,
0: it was, go, it was going on in the clubhouse initially. And, um, as I recall it, my boss, uh, had given me a playlist of stuff to play between innings and, uh, didn't, didn't include that during the season. So I had my, my brother, older brother I lived with, I said, can you go out and buy this we are family, forty-five, and uh, I had it at the ready. And then one game, you know, that they 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 won or walked off, whatever, and I hit it, and place loved it. So it, it just kind of caught on from there. But but Willie Stargell's the one that was playing it in the clubhouse first.
1: I love how he actually had to buy a record, by the way, because now it is just download it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> now you'd probably find a way to get it for free. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Times change. Um, how did you go from, and this is a dangerous question, um, how did you go from that to uh, years later being the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates?
0: So I, uh, I had an internship in 1979, and that internship included booking. That really started with me getting the, the backup pirate parrot job. Yep uh, the, the parrot, uh, mascot was started in 79 as a backup. I was part of my duties that year was to, to book the parrot and, um, which, which really was, d- doesn't sound like much, but for a long time, the parrot was a huge celebrity in Western Pennsylvania and, and bigger than you know, he got as many requests as players, if not more so. Wow. And, and we charged, uh, like, you know, 250 bucks a, an appearance and so it was. It was a. It was a big job. And um, then, I also did some other things, including spin records during games. Um, I started booking the parrot. Uh, the uh, not the parrot. The uh, national anthem singers. Entertainment. Um, and so I, I mean, just one thing led to another, uh, where I hooked on as a full-time employee, and uh, you know went from bouncing around from job to job uh even though my official position was assistant director of promotions i became like the radio tv coordinator of the team a liaison between the pirates and the 50 station radio network and uh it just good just took off from there
1: and then you went to buffalo correct
0: so um yeah so it was 10 years in the front office and um the 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 people that i got to know in the front office it really the the job of radio TV coordinator was created for me because uh, one of my many mentors was the n- name of Jack Schramm. He was the VP of marketing and, and sales and promotions for the Pirates. And he realized early on in my career that I, really I wanted to be an announcer. So he kind of created this job, which we did need at the Pirates because the, the, KDKA ran the network, uh, 50 stations. But, but if a, if a radio network station had a, a, a any problems or issues, they would just call the, the radio station uh, and at times would fall on deaf ears. And, and Jack noticed that what they really needed was someone who could be a go-between, uh, who would treat the stations right, knowing uh, that the stations around the Tri-State area were the ones, were the voices of, our, of the Pirates. And uh, we really needed them, not just for the three hours the games were on, but we needed their djs uh people that were involved on the air off the air to be uh, a a marketing arm for the team itself and all these these smaller areas and that they could sell tickets uh and it was really forward thinking so that's kind of what i became And, and then i would start to go out drive around and try and seek radio stations i was a almost a sales rep for the pirates to go out and sell the team to these stations and not just once we got them on the air that they were carrying our games, but, but, uh, keep them in addition to, to, to then doing the music between innings. Uh, I, I befriended our longtime public address announcer, Art McKinnon, who had been there for now, I bet you going back to Forbes field days 70 years or something, he was up there in age. And he also had, as a youngster, had developed polio. So he was confined to a wheelchair And later in in his later years, uh, I remember that it got tougher and tougher. He would have nephews or friends uh, actually drive him to the ballpark, to the stadium, wheel him up to his position at the microphone in the press box. And then and, and, you know, this is a guy who was was, uh, again, confined to a wheelchair and, and really couldn't could do very little was on crutches. Uh, and embraces his legs so he was uh, beholden to these people and and uh, because of that didn't have much movement and he actually was in pain the longer these games would go he asked me if i would help him uh if we had real long rain delays could i learn how to do the the public address announcing and also the balls and strikes count at, at uh three rivers so That led to a a one-year full-time gig. And just any time I had a chance to do any type of broadcast work whatsoever, whether PA, whether it's voicing over commercials, whether it was going to Youngstown, Ohio, to do weekend sports anchoring for the uh, NBC affiliate out there, um, I I really latched on to it. And uh, one year, the the, the Pirates got – Started a fledgling cable network carrying 50 games to I don't know how many subscribers they had that year. It wasn't many, but we hired Mike Lang, now the voice of the longtime voice of the Penguins, who was still announcing for the Penguins at the time. He was the play-by-play guy. Steve Lass was the color announcer. And um Mac Prine was the president of the Pirates. And I worked for him along with a couple of other people. And Mac was in charge of the hiring and he knew that I wanted to be a a play-by-play guy someday. So he was kind enough to kind of create a a pre and post game show, almost like the, uh, like they have now the infield in game reporters. Um, That was kind of my job. I didn't do much in game reporting, but between or before and after games, I grabbed an interview. And so uh, I kind of learned the the broadcast business through that and uh, a job opened up in Buffalo our AAA affiliate at the time, minor league baseball job. And I applied for that knowing that if I ever wanted to be a real full-time play-by-play announcer, I'd have to go to the minors and learn it. And um, that's what I did. Spent five years there, and the job opened up in Pittsburgh, and I came back, and I'm 23 years later still here.
1: What makes baseball great on
0: radio? I think a bunch of things come to mind. I thought about that a lot. It's the, it's, it's, it's the fact that it's on every night it's a a relationship that you develop with the audience that other sports can't possibly enable you to, 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 uh, to incorporate, to nourish. It's the time of year, uh, where, you know, you're, you're, you are, your voice is with the listener, uh, in the car, um, uh, in, in, in in the house out of the house as they're either jogging, uh, or out doing yard work. Uh, you're just there. You're, you're a comfortable, uh, friend with the listener. I just think that probably more than anything else, I think it's that. And obviously the pace of game allows you to breathe. It allows you to develop a relationship with, with, uh, the listener.
1: Let me jump off of that, because you know there there are not a lot of times where I do a football or basketball broadcast or anything else, volleyball, whatever, you name it, um, where my voice will bother me a lot. Um, but I feel like there are times where I will get off a baseball broadcast, um, and sometimes my voice bugs me. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's one of those things, because you know, you've got football, you've got basketball, where it's very much a regimented thing, and you're kind of on and off. Whereas baseball, you're having a conversation for three and a half hours, and being able to play your voice as an instrument for three and a half hours uh, can be taxing. Um, What do you do, and and how do you approach it from that standpoint?
0: During the game, first of all, I drink a ton of water, a ton, to the point where I've got to make at least a couple pit uh, pit stops during the game. I'm actually sprinting (laughs) because the location of the radio booth to the Facilities at TNC Park are uh, quite a distance, so I'm actually going through. I'm sprinting. Uh, now I know that Vince Scully talks about how he's got a uh, he's got like a lifesaver, like a carm uh, like a caramel lifesaver that he sucks on throughout the game. I I find that that's troublesome for me because then then I, I'm not clearly enunci- enunciating my words. I have tried that and it's uh, it's tough. So for that, I I try to drink a lot of water, and I try not to get to the point where I'm overextending the voice, but I've found that at times I can't even help myself. This year, for example, I noticed that because the Pirates were just okay, they didn't have a lot of exciting comeback games, so I was pretty much at at a certain level. And you know this as your voice is being trained, and it's kind of set at that range. Well, we had a game one night late in the year where we suddenly had a couple of big plays late and came back and won a game, and I overextended it. And it created a a shock to the vocal cords. And so the next day, I I went to the ballpark, and as I started to talk on the pregame, I I, I eventually could not talk. I lost my voice and uh, had to be told to go home. (laughs) <laughs> Which you know, I've done, that, I think, twice in my career. But I, I couldn't. My I, I lost my voice because of the trauma of the night before, and so I I, I I tell myself, "You idiot! You've got to be smarter than that." Yeah, and hopefully I learned a lesson now after that. But I don't know. Sure. In fact, it's funny sure. because as that happened, the game happened. I can remember late in the game doing something, and I thought, "Uh oh." the back of my mind i think i've done something here yeah, uh, yeah. and and I, I i instead of backing way off i kind of threw it aside said ah, i'll be fine and continued along that uh, that higher level uh and now i know i had caused damage to my vocal cord so uh it's you know it, it's uh, it, it's it's being smarter i guess in, in training your voice and knowing your voice and knowing your limitations and i'm I think I'm, I'm okay with it, but I'm still not there.
1: If I can go back two questions ago. I asked you what makes, uh, what makes baseball good on radio, but if I can flip that around, um, what makes good radio for baseball in your opinion? What's, uh, what, what describes a really good broadcast at the end of the day for you? Most times I try not to, what I find Joel, oftentimes it's, it's, it's inevitable
0: that when I get caught up and it's true, it's not like I get in the car and I head home and I'm, uh, you know, fr- firing a, a CD or, or replaying uh, on my, uh, my phone the broadcast knowing it was a big, exciting win. Man, I want to hear how good I was because I felt good about it. But even if I get caught up in the idea that man, I, you, I had a pretty darn good game tonight, inevitably the next day I butcher a game. It's like the baseball broadcast gods get you. <laughs> so uh, I, I really, really try and stay even keeled with it. And, and, uh, and the minute it starts creeping into my mind that, boy, I had a pretty good game, I try and wipe it slate clean. I can't wipe the slate clean when it comes to a bad game, though, because th- that night, think back, it, daggone, I mean, I may say some really dumb things that were totally wrong. And I just cannot wait till the next day's game because I can put it behind me. Uh, that's another great thing about baseball. Not yeah. only on the field, if you lose a game uh, as a player, you go for four, you get right back at it the next day, you get in the batter's box, broadcaster, same thing. You have a horrible game that you butcher. Gosh, Don, you can't wait till that game starts the next day to recover. So, um, but what, you know, just I think you just kind of know after a game, when you put the headset down, it was a, usually it has to be a good game, whether you win or lose it, usually. Uh, because if it's a horrible game, I will say to myself, boy well, you know, it was a bad game. We lost you know, ten to two. Uh, we're down seven-one in the second inning." But at least I kept uh, the pace of it going. I had some uh, some fodder for my partner, or we discussed. We had some fun with trivia, whatever. At least I, I feel like I could say to myself, "You know, if I were listening to the game, and I stayed with it." Despite the outcome, I bet you you were entertained because we ultimately we are still, even though what matters is the product on the field, and that's what's ultimately going to entertain fans. You're still kind of entertaining fans to, um, to, to 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 play along with whatever is out on the field. As uh, you're you're assisting, you are the 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 eyes and ears of the fans. So uh, you want to create uh, or at least uh, recreate. That that excitement, whatever took place on the field.
1: How do you do that? when if, if you've got a bad game or bad teams, um, I mean, you've certainly had your fair share of seasons that did not go the right way. Um, what do you do to to still to still be good um, and to and to still navigate through? Uh, you know, everybody. You know, I, I've had baseball games we're getting killed. You've just got to find a way to make it entertaining for the night. Um, or seasons that are going south, and you still have to get people to, to game aside. I know you, we talked about this already, but game aside, still turn on the radio. Um, how do you stick with it?
0: Well, I've noticed I noticed it this year, especially in September. We had a terrible September collapse. That we, I'm, I'm reverting back to some of my crutches that I used for the first. You know, I, I was in losing end of nineteen of those twenty years. The last nineteen of losing seasons and uh, usually we're out of it by early July. Uh, so you had to kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, how am I going to get through these games? Well, one thing was always out of town scoreboard uh, that, that I rely on heavily where you kind of dive into and you need time to, to do it right. Uh, I was speaking to a class, a college class uh, earlier today. And, and the question came up about that very subject and in preparation and the time it takes and to really do a good game, I need you know, a lot of time. I need a good hour to do out-of-town scoreboard where it might be the Braves and the Phillies are playing in Atlanta. Both teams are out of the race, but uh, interestingly enough, the Phillies going down to Atlanta have won 10 of the 11 games played this year. They're 10-1 and 1 against the Braves, and they've got Adam Morgan on the mound. And Morgan in Atlanta, though his record this year is 5-15, and 15, he's got an ERA of 8. He is 4-0 with a 120 ERA in Atlanta. And Ryan Howard has hit 25 career home runs against the Braves at Turner Field the last year there. And this is the anniversary of the longest game ever in the history of the Atlanta Braves. It went 22 innings. And, uh, you know, Raul Casanova won it on a walk-off hit at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, They were going to have fireworks night that night. And And so, I mean, (laughs) there you go. You could go an entire inning talking about just that one game and spinning it off and so history becomes a big deal to me pirate history i did a lot of that in september uh i've got now uh not only do i do the google archives newspapers which is an unbelievable cool resource because it has uh the post gazette the pittsburgh post gazette and the, the pittsburgh um press which is uh been out of circulation for years but it's a library right there at your fingertips of a hundred plus years, and you can go back and, and reread these newspaper articles. It is so cool, and 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 I use and now I, I subscribe to uh, Newspapers dot com, which exposes you now to another thousand something newspapers, and uh, it's that's really that it's it's really a fun part of the job in a warped way. The worse the team gets, the more you're doing that kind of prep work because the better the team is, the more you're almost on auto autopilot because there's so much to talk about and your color analyst is in the game and the games are good and it just kind of flows. Whereas the worse you get, the more you have to prepare for these lulls and, uh, the onus is on you to do that and not on the color guy. He won't do it. Most color guys don't, they don't think <laughs> it's their job. And so, uh, I guess that's kind of what I rely on the, the other teams, uh, uh, history. And even, you know, if there's a, there's a special story about a, a visiting or a, or a pirate player that you can dive into, uh, I'll, I'll do that as well.
1: What's your prep look like, um, before games, then I, obviously you mentioned all the, the reading that you do, but, um, how much time does it take every morning? Uh, do you have a routine that you try to get through, uh, consistently um and then uh, what's your book look like as far as making note of all the things you want to get to and, and doing it in a, an efficient manner so you can find it all
0: well because i have the worst memory of all time i i admit that i think that's one of the one of the uh, <clears throat> you know one of the strengths of a of a good broadcaster or some any profession is to know your weakness and i know my one of my great weaknesses is my my memory uh, as, as much as I've tried to, to tr- train it, I've, I'm terrible at it. And so I write a lot of stuff down. I've got, I'm guessing the biggest scorebook in baseball, because I've looked at other guys, and they've come in and actually commented on my book. And, you know, it's, it, people kind of make fun of it. Uh, it's so big, it's, it, but it's for, so that I have a lot of blank space on the scorebook to allow me to write in the margins. And so I try to write as much stuff down as I can. I also do a lot of post-it notes after a game. Most times, I'll look at my scorecard and see it filled with stuff uh, about the game, and I I notice that again, vast majority of the time, I've never gotten to it, and that's a good thing. You always want to be prepared for the worst. Never have enough time. Uh, I have found I try to do work at home, but I, my my house, even though I've got just one, my wife works full time. I got one son who's a high school age kid. Now my in-laws are, are living with me. Three dogs, uh, and that doesn't seem like much, but it's complete chaos. And and so uh, I, I find that I can do nothing at home, and that my best bet is to get to the ballpark as soon as possible to begin working.
1: When do you talk to players and coaches? Uh, are you a big batting practice guy, or, or when do you get time to kind of sit and, and talk with guys a little bit more in-depth and, and get some stuff that – you can turn into to some deeper stories on air and, and paint kind of a, a more colorful picture. Used to be a, a big time batting practice
0: guy in the minor leagues all the time. And at the beginning of the major leagues uh, with, depending on who the manager was almost every night, but be honest with you, I get the impression recently, the last handful of years that it's frowned upon that, you know, I, it looks like I'm not welcome by the batting cage. So I have uh, taken that as a hint to stay away. And so I uh, talk to the guys based on interviews. Uh, if I'm on radio, I have to interview the manager. Uh, in addition to that twice a week, we have a radio pregame interview to do usually with a player. Uh, and what I'll do is uh, if, if something occurs during a ball game that I need an answer to, and you can only get the answer from the player himself, I'll jot it down in a, in a notebook and the next day refer to that notebook and, and uh, try to get to that player. But I'll tell you, Joel, you've seen this uh, as the years go on. And this goes even to the minor leagues. Now they're building these, these shrines, these, these uh, Taj Mahal's of these clubhouses for these players uh, where they're no longer just locker rooms where you would walk into a locker room and you'd see the player at his stall. And if he wasn't at his stall, he might be in a small trainer's room. You could go, and wave to him and say, I got to talk to you. Now these places are gigantic and they have these little arteries offsetting that lead to the clubhouse, but also lead to escape hatches for these players, whether it's a gigantic uh, lunchroom and cafeteria, uh, a trainer's room that is, is, you know, bigger than most doctor's offices, uh, mini swimming pools. They've got a little game room for the players to go off. They've got a meditation room so they can hide easily. When they get to the ballpark, they might drop their stuff in their locker and they're gone. And it's one of the most frustrating things about the job is you have to uh, you, you want to go see a player. It's not like you can, oh, I'm going to go see somebody. No, you got to go in there and hope he's there. Then when he is there, go to him and say, do you have a few minutes? And the rare occasion he might say, sure. Most times they say, ah, uh, and they look at the clock and go, ah, uh, not right now. I got to go get treatment or I got to go take BP in the cages or they usually come up with some excuse Uh, and then you might see them an hour later if you're lucky. So it's, uh, it's much more difficult these days to actually talk in depth with, with the players. If you want a long in-depth interview with a guy, you usually have to set it up uh, in advance. I'm talking at least a day or days in advance.
1: I was gonna say, how do you? What's the best way that you found to build relationships with guys and and be able to have that knowledge that you can talk more in depth about them on the air? Um, when it's yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's harder and harder to to get to guys and to to have time with guys. Well, I've gone two ways of,
0: uh, over the years. I've gone. I've been a guy who, you know, this was years ago. Again, when the when the clubhouses were smaller and and we would go in. And we take the, the team bus, early bus, and, and players be hanging around there. They might be playing cards, but they, they might be at their locker. They didn't have the, the headphones. Now, that's the other thing, too, is, true. It, I mean, it's unbelievable. In fact, <laughs> I have, I've walked in locker in Pirates clubhouses for the last couple of years, and I have gone up to writers and PR people, and I said, just look around it. I actually whisper because there's no talking. I said, look around here. Each guy is at his locker not talking to his locker mate, he's, 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 he's got his head buried in his phone or his iPad, uh, and his headsets are on. It, it's just remarkable, and it's really quiet. And especially when we were winning, I thought, well, this should be loud. I remember the days when, going back to the days when the Pirates were winning the World Series in 79, uh, I mean, they were loud and rambunctious, and you walk in, and you could, you'd have to yell over a guy next to you to talk. Because they're having so much fun before ball, now it's like, goodness gracious! It's, what are they doing? <laughs> brain surgery here? Uh, it's, it's crazy. I think and, it's a uh,
1: societal thing too.
0: Oh, it, I, I agree. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not blaming the sport. It just yeah. it is, and and because of that, relationships now have suffered. One-on-one relationships. So uh, back then, I would go. Uh, heck, I would make it a point to sit with a guy. I, I, I tried to like take a player, if not a player a day, maybe a player a homestand, and. And, and with a pad and, and a notepad and just sit there and just interview them and just get to know them. Um, I haven't done this in a couple of years, but I would, I would try and, and get a, a, maybe one or two players a year that I would say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I want to talk to you in an office by ourselves for an hour and record it and then break it up into little mini interviews. And that's how you really you know, get to know a guy as well, even though it's on mic. Uh, but now I, I basically, uh, I'm not that I'm standoffish, but I will, when we get a guy, a new guy, I'll I'll, I'll get my, uh, hellos in and in, in spring training. And that's, uh, that's also uh, still a pretty good way to talk to guys. Yeah. I will do that during, during BP and spring training. I I don't uh, feel as inhibited. I feel like I can go up and talk to a guy, not, not for 20 minutes, but see how they're doing, get to know the, them a little bit better. Um, but I, I, you know, there's also a little bit of, uh, where i don't know how to say it without sounding almost egotistical um uh, part of me is is to, to be cordial to go up to them and, and shake their hands welcome them to the team who tell them who i am one of, i'm one of the announcers and and uh and again pass by cordially say hi but but you also get a, a good idea about a guy that way um eventually they start to earn a trust where, see, if you, if you walk up to a guy and just kind of expose yourself to him and just throw yourself at him and uh, you, you, you you almost like you're, you're burying yourself uh, or, or burying him in, in your background, uh, you, know, you almost need to give somebody space in order to kind of – and I think the, the, the player then kind of watches what your agenda is because a lot of times now I notice that there are agendas everywhere. Everybody has an agenda. And um, so you have to – I think that the players will, will, will put up walls uh, because they know that, that that reporters or other people in the – maybe it's front office people or uh, whoever it might be, uh, want to get to know them for a reason, like not just because they're people. I need something from you, so I'm going to go talk to you. And I've decided that maybe the best way is to show them that, you know – I like you, good, good guy, and everything. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a lot of space. I think, you know, I could be wrong. I don't know whether somebody would walk up to Andrew McCutcheon and say, "What do you think of Greg Brown?" He might say, that he's the biggest jerk in the world." My guess is Andrew appreciates the fact that I have really given him space. Now, I, I uh, he and I almost, I would consider almost a friend when he first started out, uh, and I talked to him a lot. But the, the more star power he got, the more time uh he had to spend with others and um his time was limited therefore the more i backed off and i've given him his space i think that's important to to give these players i think they respect that a lot i think
1: yeah i think that's a great point actually because you forget sometimes that everybody's a person um and yeah and and, and, and
0: you, you see too you see how many people how many are out, out for these guys needing something from them. I mean, reporters, whether they're print. And now we've got more, of course, now with social media, you know, you have a blog, you get, you have a press pass. So you can go, so now they're all these just uh, tons of people that want time, want these guys time. And, and I think, you know, the last thing in the world they need is for me to come up again. You know, like I'm going to be one guy that's going to give them some, some space.
1: me about storytelling, um, all the stuff that you gather from them. Um, once you get on air, uh, kind of how have you found um, the best way is constructing stories um, and, and getting them out there uh, cleanly, concisely. Uh, I mean, everybody I was talking we mentioned Vince Scully earlier about uh, his ability to, to tell stories, and they always seem to end at the right moment, and everything is always so seamless about them. Um, tell me a little bit about your process and how you, you, you get into stuff and how you make it work. It's the one thing I'm terribly envious of with Vin Scully, well,
0: a lot of things. That's the biggest thing. Uh, but, but the fact his talents, of course, but, but uh, I'm envious of him and minor league broadcasters who don't have partners because that in, that is the essence of being able to tell the story as you want. That's why his stories end at the right time. He has no one else to worry about. And I'm, I'm not saying that a negative. That's God love him. Uh, uh but because you have another person in the booth with you uh that throws everything off and throws a huge monkey wrench into the process because of that i'll be honest with you i do get frustrated because i will have i have found over the years stories on guys and depending on who you're broadcasting with your partner is what his mood is what the game is like uh what his agenda might be that night his his preparation might be different. He may have something he wants to get to. Uh, he may not be listening. Uh, it's, uh, the, if it's a TV game, the director, the producer, uh, they've got their agenda. It is almost impossible to get a story out uh, on, on players. Uh, you, you can do it, but it's just not nearly as comfortable. And you need you, – if you're going to start a story, you almost need for it to be seamless – And to sound really comfortable on the air, you need your color announcer to kind of pick up on it. I think one of the worst things in the world is to tell a story and all of a sudden you get nothing from your color analyst. And that's either because he has no interest in it, which I think happens most times, or the director is now saying, Hey, we got a commercial, uh, we got a a read coming up. So you, you don't start anything else. So don't continue that story. Let it go there. And it just like you're hanging. And so, um,
1: uh, will you talk that, about that, that ahead of time Like will you tell you know Bob or John or whoever you're with that night uh, hey, these are some things I've got on my plate tonight um, or hey, did you see that story um, or did you read this about this guy so you've kind of planted that seed that if we get there uh, they're on the same page that they can chime in
0: You know the only time that usually happens is if, if the two, the two guys I and my color announcer happen to be around the cage. With with uh, you know maybe there's a, a, maybe Jim Leland, for example in the Tigers when he, they're they in Cal or Gene Lamont we and we both go down together to say hi and we asked about a player's uh, I I I have intentionally not done that because um, I don't want it to be artificially planted in someone that okay you've got to go okay okay now I got it so now I, you tell I'm telling the story and he comes up with something that sounds Sure, uh, you know, artificially driven, yeah. that isn't genuine. And it just, I don't, I, I think we make a, a good team, the Pirates broadcasters, because we are buddies. And, and you listen to a Pirates game, I pretty much guarantee it's like you're listening to two guys sitting at a bar. Uh, that, that, and that's kind of my goal that, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're sitting with a buddy uh, and, and you're talking, you're watching the game and you're talking about it. And, and w- what I try to do is often think about what you at the bar, or maybe you're sitting in your living room, uh, what you, you, what you're thinking, like w- w- you're curious about a player. And, uh, if you go away from that and your partner's not in it with you, it, it just doesn't sound right. And, and, uh, and smooth, so I, I I intentionally will not do that. Uh, the pro, producer always comes to, to us before ball game. Anything else you guys want to talk about? This is what we're doing for the pregame. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Well, some things are obvious. You know, yeah, Jake Arrieta is on the mound tonight, and we have Pirates are 0 and 7 against him in the last three years, and he's a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, obviously, we want to talk about. It, but I'm not going to say, yeah, I want to talk about a story regarding Chris Bryant. And you know, he's getting married in November. Uh, he met his fiance uh,
1: in Italy on a, on, a, on a trip this year. Nah, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, is that all true, by the way, or did you just make that up off the top of your no, head? No, I just, <laughs> okay. just made that up. I, don't, I, of, yeah. I didn't know from that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I don't want to take too much more of your time, uh, so I'll just take one or two more if that's okay. Um, sure. But you, you brought up partners, so if I can go down that, that alley... Uh, I'm one of those guys that's never really done baseball with a partner uh, throughout the minor leagues. My very first year, uh, when I worked uh, in Salem, Virginia, I was a number two, so I had a partner. Um, and then I did a couple of games with uh, with the Duke and Buffalo. Um, but outside of that, uh, it's pretty much just been me. And then... At Ball State the last couple of years, our uh, our deputy athletic director is the former baseball coach, and we have a good relationship. And um, I said, hey, P- PQ, why don't you come do a game with me at some point? And he did. And I distinctly remember standing in the booth, because here's a, you know, I, 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 it wasn't the two play-by-play guys in the booth at the same time relationship. It was the play-by-play and true analyst type deal. And I didn't know how to lead into him or how to set him up. Uh, from the standpoint of you know football basketball, for the most part they just talk uh, because it 's a small gap and I felt like in baseball I had to do a little bit more um, How do you handle getting your analysts in and 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 creating that conversation uh, in so, you 've got so much dead time it 's really got to be two people talking uh, how do you do that
0: well i think if 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 the guy is uh, not we talk about how uh you could tell early on if a guy we call, we got bird seed. He's chirping. Boy, this guy's got a lot of bird seed tonight. You know, my partner. Um, he, he's, he's revved up. He's in a good mood. He's prepped. He's got stuff going, so I'm going to back off. But there are also times when he's he's got nothing, so there are there are where you need to kind of feed that. And I, I just think it's just kind of softball questions that you know as an ex-player he's going to know the answer to, you may know the answer to, and that you just kind of – subtly ask on the air uh, knowing that that he'll have something about uh, whether it's just, uh, you know, uh, there's a fly ball to center field. McCutcheon in the right center now calls off Polanco and makes the catch. And uh, Bob, obviously that's, that's McCutcheon's ball there, right? Uh, Just real. I think you can get real basic just to kind of get him going. And then uh, if, if there's something that's even more interesting, that can drive a topic Um, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately one of the things we do is because we are the home broadcast, the pirates broadcasters, we aren't terribly critical of the, our guys, but uh, you can be a little bit more critical of the visitors. Uh, It, 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 that's one of the things that I found that our color analysts, uh, especially the more recent players, uh, do uh, well, criticize other guys uh, because you're not going to get in trouble basically, sure. and it's a way to to sound more objective. And so, if you guy uh, yeah, it's a five nothing ball game, two outs, runner at second base, and uh, there goes Billy Hamilton for a third. It's a stolen base. Pirates certainly worth thinking about that. Bob, is that a good move right there? Five nothing ball game, or uh, even if the, if, the, if the Pirates are leading five to nothing, it's the seventh inning and Cutchin tries to till second, uh, Bob or John or Steve, do you ever call off the dogs here? Is that, uh, you know, by the book, is that okay to do, or, or you as a pitcher, do you take exception to that? I, I try to do that also where sure. if it's a former pitcher, you, you try and get, because people love to talk about themselves and uh, a former pitcher loves to talk about his old days. Uh, Bob, did, you know, you're, it's a two, one count here uh, runners at first and second. Are you okay with, with the, here's the, the, the catcher might have put down a, a breaking ball? Your control is an issue. Are you, are you still willing to go with a, with a slider here? Uh, where our position player guy is, uh, you know, is, 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 John, are you worried about the bunt at all in this situation? Uh, or, or, or do you back off? Are you guarding the line here? Just, you know, anything that, that again, will get one. And once you get him started on that, that usually gets them on, on the roll
1: criticism wise if you say i mean and i only bring this up just because like if you google greg brown it's like the first like 30 things that come up on google too um what happens if you get somebody who takes offense to something that you say um and uh and uh mending and and maintaining relationships because obviously that's what a lot of what we do is about
0: well and that you know inevitably it's especially true with uh when you're losing uh, with your home team, you are going to get either players or management calling you. I mean, we just, uh, I'm almost waiting to to look at my phone or hear from the, when the phone rings and it's the front office, when we're in the midst of a losing streak or a losing year and that phone rings, I'm going, uh Oh, here we go. (laughs) Okay. Sure enough. I get the phone call. Go get your hand slapped. Watch, you know, watch this. Or I've had players. I've had players actually, uh, Approach me or call me. I one time, Jason Kendall called me in the booth uh, for another player. Uh, he was representing another player and said, this player needs to talk to you about something you said yesterday. And, uh, you know, their antenna goes up. They get incredibly sensitive when they lose. They're never to blame. It's always the announcer's fault. And uh, you just, you know, you kind of suck it up. I, you know, I really do. Try, one, one piece of advice that I did get from our team president when he first arrived about eight years ago was, um, you know, he, he let some games go on. We were losing and we would have regular homestand meetings with him and promotions people and uh, and then just one on one with him. And, and uh, he critique and he said, you know, I never want you not to say when a player makes a physical or mental mistake. Uh, Because that will be more glaring than anything. But I don't want you to play that such a Pollyannish role. I want you to point it out. But what I don't want you to do is to harp on it inning after inning after inning. And I do think that that was a criticism uh, that was uh, well-placed of of mine. I I think that I, I, especially as as the years went on, I I got more miserable. And uh, (laughs) I I, I think I'd, I'd call out a guy in the third inning and I'd, he'd, he'd come up to the plate in the fifth inning and I'd refer back to it and what a terrible play it was. And I thought about it, and the more I thought about it, the, the, the more he's right. I'm, first of all, I'm an employee of the team. Uh, and, and why should I be the guy that harps on mistakes? Uh, there was, there was one marketing director we had many years ago who, uh, toward the end of the season, we had a meeting and he, he called me out in front of my cohorts, my colleagues and said, Greg, uh, I heard you the other night say that the Pirates had to go 12-2 uh, and two in order to not lose 100 games of the last 14. Why would you do that? And I said, well, why wouldn't I? I said, that, 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 it, it was factual. He goes, why is it your job to do the math? I said, why wouldn't it? He goes, because you're paid by the Pirates. He said, well, shouldn't you leave that up to the, the jerks that are writing about us, who are ripping on us, or the, 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 the talk show hosts? I mean, you're an employee of the Pirates. You're 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 telling the people, let them get that the calculator out if necessary. The more I thought about it, the more right he is. So that that's a negative that is not necessary. So I've I've uh, you know I've learned to to tone it down, but yet I'll still be critical when I think it's absolutely necessary.
1: Greg, how can people find you? Uh, I know it's the off season, but uh, G Brownie Points on Twitter, right? That's it, Joel. Yeah, thanks, G Brownie Points.
0: And, uh, <laughs> That, that gets it. And that gets me. That gets me. Because when you said criticism, uh, that's one thing that's Twitter has opened a new world for me. <laughs> I, I used to have to wait to read it in the newspaper or listen to a talk show. I don't know if I told you the story about that one one great criticism. And and it's really a great lesson for broadcasters, I think, that there was an old song called Garden Party by Ricky Nelson. Uh, back in the, I think, the, maybe the late 60s, early 70s. And in the song one of the refrains is you can't please everyone so you you got to please yourself bum, bum, da and i think about that all the time that you can't please everyone you've got to please yourself because one of the things they say about broadcasters any sport is that you can't give the score enough you got to keep giving in the score and so I, I uh, got an old trick from my broadcast buddy, Pete Weber in Buffalo, mm. who got a trick from Red Barber and has the egg timer and, uh, on his desk. And so every 90 seconds, he flips that egg timer and gives the score. So I've done that over the years. And one time I was driving home from a ball game several years ago and I had the talk shows on, stupid me, but the, 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 the host takes a call and says, I got to complain about Greg Brown. Oh, what do you got? He goes, he's terrible. Why do you say that? Because he gives the score too much. <laughs> uh,
1: the irony of this profession. Exactly. Greg Brown, our guest on Play-By-Play cast this week, voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates. By the way, newspapers.com, uh, he mentioned it about midway through our conversation. Uh, 4,400 papers, historically. Uh, you can dig through them. they got, like, literally everything. Seven-day free trial if you want it. Uh, $79 a month or... or no, no, no. no the, whoa, whoa. Way overdid that. $19 a month or $7 a month. They've got like a, a super awesome member level and then like a basic member level. Um, but it, it's... I, I think just by looking at it, uh, it was more a historical thing, which can certainly be helpful as opposed to a, you know, you get every paper in the world on a daily basis type deal. Uh, but from a historical perspective it doesn't seem like a bad deal so if you're a baseball guy out there uh, check out newspapers.com i had never heard of it before uh, and it looks like a really cool resource especially in this day and age when like basicword.com usually doesn't exist like you used to be able to go to, like sports.com and and get stuff and now it's probably like some sort of dead domain So, yeah, newspapers.com. It's a thing. It's it's a really good resource uh, for history, for lack of a better word, which comes in really handy on baseball broadcasts. Greg Brown, though, is our guest uh, this week. Many thanks again to him, as always. Many thanks to you for joining us on the podcast once again. Uh, Once more, if you like the show, uh, rate it, uh, leave some stars. But certainly, and the biggest thing about it is tell a friend. Uh, Share it on Twitter. uh, Shoot it to somebody uh say hey tech a listen i've been enjoying this but uh word of mouth is our our biggest deal and i appreciate sincerely uh anybody who's been able to uh share this podcast with friends or other colleagues in the business uh i do it first and foremost because i like it and i like kind of picking people's brains and and learning what people have to say Uh, but it's fun to know that other people get something out of it and it's been fun to kind of watch it grow as a thing too uh, so if you've enjoyed it, uh, please do share it, pass it on, uh, help us grow a little bit. Um, we'd love to see those numbers keep keep popping up uh, on a week-to-week basis. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you've missed any episodes, they're all archived. You can check them out. Go uh, and Backlog, the 21 now so far, and uh, we will head to the college ranks again next week. Really good interview next week. I won't spoil with who. But I had a chance to do it in person. And I love, as much as phone interviews are great, I love being able to sit down next to somebody and have that back-and-forth conversation. So uh, we'll have one of those chats next week here on Play-By-Playcast. So please do join us then. In the meantime, uh, the remix Adele is playing. So uh, hit it, Marshmallow. we got to get out of here. This is Play-By-Playcast. We're out.